been a long time. Can we podcast? One, two, three, four. Welcome in loyal and not so loyal listeners of the Calvercast. We are back. Nigh on a month we've been gone. Maybe new listeners even. Maybe new listeners. Somebody's new resolution was like to listen to our podcast. Listen to Calvercast. That's right. Uh, it we, has been a while. I feel rusty, though. We do feel a little rusty. We better banter a little. We better banter a little. Uh, we could have lost some listeners over the time. They're like, these guys are so inconsistent. Right. In and they found a more consistent podcast. More consistent podcast. Maybe, though, think about it this way. Good things come to those who wait. Mm-hmm. Good cheese lasts for, like, you have to let it sit for a while. Right. Good wine. It's better when it's older. Yep. Uh... What other things I can't think of? All alcohol, I guess. Bourbon. Is that better after at least? Yeah, aged in a barrel. Oh, okay. I think it's a while. I watched a documentary once on it. I like wine documentaries, actually. I've seen several. They're pretty fast. I'm not like a wine connoisseur per se, but it's it's a pretty fascinating world. Right. How they make it and age it. Yep. Yep. And uh, the, actually, we're way off subject. There's one documentary I watched about a guy that created all these fake bottles of old wine. He just went and bought cheap wine at the grocery store, made old <laughs> labels, slapped them on the bottle, and sold them for sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to people. And they drink them. And they're like, this isn't good wine. But they had to be like, this is great. Because, you know, I just spent $200,000 on this bottle of wine. That reminds me of art. Like, they sometimes yep. you look at art that isn't good, but everybody says it's good. So you have to be like, wow, this is great art. Yes. It's just like colors splashed yep. on the canvas or whatever. Yep. And because some famous artist did this, we call it good. Yeah. Or a child. Right. I mean, that's happened too, you know. So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, people want the feeling of something. It's just going along with the crowd. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. It's like the emperor who had no clothes. Yeah. Things like that. So He was undressed. He was undressed. Well, we hope that you... Think about us like good wine and good cheese. <laughs> they, they <laughs> that's things. where we started with all this. How did, I was yeah, like, that's why we started start? with this, right? That you think like with age, when we come back, we're better. We are, again, the number one podcast in Grand Junction for a Bible church still. So, All right. Yeah, Staying at the top. Staying at the top. All right. That is uh, some banter, some New Year's resolutions talk. We have banted. We have banted. Let's get into our book of the month. Book of the month. Which is, and we're at the end of the month, essentially. For January, we recommended The End of Anxiety by Josh Weidman. Perhaps our best-selling book at Calvary. So we should be a pretty peaceful church. <laughs> or we're, or we are not. <laughs> <laughs> are an we are an anxious church. Uh, no, actually, I did think, I was like, this is an issue that so many people struggle with in right. so many different ways. Yeah. And we're looking for help. <laughs> right. What do I do with this anxiety? So, well, with this book, I, I tr- with the people I've talked to about it, I say it is one resource that can help as you think through the issue of anxiety. I don't think it's the end all end all of all, you know, books or whatever. And the, the titles of play on words. I always think that's important. Mm -hmm. He's not saying that your anxiety is going to come to an end, Mm -mm. but what he's showing really the word end 
being the purpose yes. that God uses in all of our suffering, including anxiety or depression, and how in understanding that, we can learn to grow through our anxiety. Yeah. And uh, then you are learning to, by faith, Conquer it, yep. more and more and more. Right. So he's not that he's not promoting his book is like, one that this is going to end. Yeah, all it's anxiety. not a self help book that no. like you do these things and you'll be cured of your anxiety. But right. It's it's learning to glorify God. Yeah. Even through and, it and learning this is really anxiety and depression are a part of life in a fallen world. Yep. Even for Christian people. Yeah. And so learning to walk through it in a godly biblical way and to battle sinful anxiety. Yes is uh, important. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Uh, if you are not at our church and you can't get it for the steal of five bucks and you want to order it online, you check out Baker Bookhouse. That's a little uh, <clears throat> book buying tip for you there. Baker Bookhouse, you can pick it up for $5. All right, we got some uh, listener feedback. Listener feedback. So this <laughs> this is you're gonna see in a minute why that uh, little uh, clip is ironic. This came in about a month ago. It says, "Hey there, I'm a religious listener and have only just now gathered the courage to write this. I have never liked the AI transitions. Oh, the music is great, but the creepy AI voice just doesn't cut it." I suggest either pre-recording the quips as the host or asking your illustrious listeners to send in their own transition recordings. In addition, my wife has told me that she loves listening to Graham's voice and suggests that at the least, Graham should voice the transition segments. TGBTG from Ohio. That's to God be the glory. Ohio. You know who this is. I know who this is. one of your... Friends, acquaintances, or whatever. You know him, too. He is our probably most frequent engager with the podcast. Okay, gotcha. Andrew Johnson. I gotcha. Uh, So, Andrew, uh, no, I'm not taking away the AI transitions. I like them. Mm. Uh, But I do like the idea of people sending in. If you want to send in a little quip that says, listener feedback, or topic of the day, you could do that, and we might use that. That would be cool. Or Why not? Another thing I do like, one of my favorite podcasts, we've recommended before, The World and Everything in It. They always begin with this little bit from a listener saying, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm listening from here. And, you know, if people sent us things like that, I would use them as long as they weren't do- dopey and there dorky. Go. I think that'd be kind of cool. Just I do, too. It makes the podcast more of a a, 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 fa- a family. Right. Okay. Our podcast family. Our podcast that's how family. we can start addressing everybody. That's right. Hello. Our podcast family. Our podcast family. And you feel like you're part of something big. That's right. Because you are. When you're a part of the Calvary <laughs> cast, you are a part of something big. The number one podcast from a Bible church in that's Grand right. Junction, Colorado. That's right. What's bigger than that? Our topic of the day. Well, thank. You. by the way, Andrew, thank you for participating yes. and making us feel... You probably shouldn't have said who it was because then I, it was like people would be like, "Wow, they've got listeners, listeners in, in Ohio." Ohio even. <laughs> Man, Graham, you dropped the ball on that. Maybe you could actually Sorry. go and edit that out. I could. Then you'd have to edit this out. Then I'd have to edit this out. And that's so a whole we'll lot just of editing. To, we'll, we'll just have to let it go. We'll just have to let it go. But we do appreciate the feedback. It is fun. I do enjoy that. So, anyway, what's bigger than our podcast? Our uh, topic of the day. So. Let's 
topic of the day. Thank you, AI. <laughs> topic of the day, why Christians needn't observe Old Testament feasts, laws, and festivals. Yeah, a.k.a. be leery of the Hebrews' roots movement. A.k.a. we're a new covenant people. Correct. Do you have any other AKAs we could add on there? No, I think that's good. Okay. Uh, okay, why? Let's start here. Why are we talking about this? Well, it's because it came out in my sermon Sunday. Okay. So I'm doing like a just a few weeks on the church before we go back into Romans 9, which there's more connection here than what we originally thought, because as I'm preparing for Romans 9 through 11, that's about Israel and Paul's explanation of what God is doing with them yeah. and how God God's word to them has not failed. He's going to fulfill his promises and how he's doing that now and will do that in the future, okay. Romans 11. But we were making the distinction between Israel and the church mm-hmm. and that the church is not a continuation of Israel. Mm-hmm. It is not a repackaged Israel. And one of the things that we brought out was in Acts 2 1, um, just the phrase that Luke has there when the day of Pentecost arrived. This is when the, the church was born mm-hmm. on Pentecost at the outpouring of the Spirit. And that word arrived is a form of the Greek word plerao or um, to fulfill something. So what he's saying is when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. And I think he meant more than. Just the Jews were there right. fulfilling their obligations for Pentecost. I think there's a at the very least a hint of this is the this was what Pentecost was pointing towards, and this day is the fulfillment of mm-hmm. this particular festival. And we just talked about the fact that what we notice in the New Testament, as you read on, is that the the church comprised of both Jew and Gentile is nowhere really encouraged uh, or admonished to continue these feasts, these ceremonial laws. You don't find it. And especially what's interesting is you don't find it in Paul's letters, who is the unique apostle to the Gentiles. Yeah. So we learn in Galatians 2 when Paul went to Jerusalem, he meets with Peter and others there, and they they gave him the right hand of fellowship and they determined Paul is Christ's appointed ambassador to the Gentiles. We're going to go primarily to the Jews. and But that doesn't mean that both of them, Paul and Peter or John and the others, didn't work with and evangelize Gentiles as well, because you right. see Peter doing that next in. But that primarily his was to the Gentiles. Anyway, I bring that up because in the 13 of Paul's letters uh, in the New Testament, Nowhere are Gentile churches or these mixed congregations mm. commanded to keep these feast days or ceremonial yeah. laws. Yeah. And the reason that's important to bring up yes. is because in recent history, there are there are these groups gathering under this broad umbrella of very what's called... Very broad. Yeah, very broad umbrella of what's called Hebrew roots movement, and a very much a, a fascination with returning to keeping Torah, right? Keeping the law, yep. keeping especially in the ceremonial law, right? In the days, the seasons, the weeks, the festivals, Sabbath, worshiping again on yep. Sabbath. Uh, 
And so it's important to make that distinction that we don't need to do that, nor are we encouraged. And what we'll end with today is it's downright dangerous, right. I think, to do it. Uh, that movement is very broad. If you do a little bit of Google research, it's not a monolithic group. So if we make broad brush statements, right. understand that's what they are. They're broad brush. Yeah. I'm sure that some people would listen and say, well, that's not what I think. You know? That's right. And so this isn't an attempt really to even unpack all of those things. But as a whole, there is a group of people out there that are advocating this. Especially, And there's a lot in the Valley. Mm-hmm. There's a number of people that are advocating this and it's some are more healthy to less healthy mm-hmm. we'll just say right. it that way right there's an actual well they would i don't i think they'd call themselves a church i won't name it but it's here in town and but they meet on the uh saturday saturday and they're gentile and uh, meaning i don't think they're jewish uh, origin at all and they believe to one degree or another to be following Torah right. and keeping Torah. Uh, I found that uh, some of these groups hold to this thing called one law theology. Mm-hmm. That is the belief that Gentiles should obey the old covenant laws and feasts, and they take this from Numbers 15, 16. Uh, so kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, I'll bring up one other group in this. I don't know if they would consider themselves Hebrews roots, but uh, is an interview that I watched and you watched as well, but they'd be what they call themselves Messianic Jews, right? So Mm -hmm. they are Jewish ethnically people. Right. Ethnically people, that was a very awkward way. Ethnic Jews who have come to faith, saving faith in Christ. They're genuinely born again, but they continue to worship in what I would say would be a distinctly Jewish way, right? Right. So they still meet on the Sabbath. They still uh, meet in a synagogue, they follow a Torah liturgy, but they also are preaching the gospel in that as well. Right. Um, the way the one guy explained it on the interview that uh, that I was listening to is he was saying our our worship would be equivalent to say a Korean church or a Chinese church or something like that. So an interesting position is that the best thing to do. I don't know. That's up for up for debate. But they would be somewhat in this category because they're still going to be observing some of these same customs, but they are doing it as ethnic Jews, which to me is a little bit of a, of a distinction. Right. Yeah. So everything from that mm-hmm. to what I found was, so you had the, the ethnic Jews beginning some of this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they will allow Gentiles to come and join them. Mm-hmm. And my question in all of, you know, obviously we talked about this the other day, just to throw it out there, I don't think that is as bad as what we're seeing with with these Gentile churches trying to begin this. But yet, I don't think they're coming far enough under into the New Covenant age, what we would call the church age, which is supposed to be distinctly Jew and Gentile together. So when Paul was writing his letters to these churches, they were already having this problem of mixed Jew and Gentile, and Jews, some of them wanting to cling to those old uh, standards of the way they would worship and the the, the days and the seasons, and beginning to judge Gentiles for not doing that. But you already see in these groups like this new man forming, Ephesians 2, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the Jew, Jew Gentile. Yep. And I brought out in the message on Sunday the idea that 
Well, first of all, when this was first proposed at the Jerusalem Council, there were uh, what we call Judaizers. They were saying that it is necessary for these Gentiles to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. Mm -hmm. They were trying to make them Jews, as though everything was going to stay the same. Peter was the one who stood up and said, brothers, we couldn't even uphold under this. Why are we imposing this on, on them? And um, that was a really important decision of the Jerusalem Council, freeing them from their obligations to the Mosaic Law. And um, but it's it's this idea that there would be this new body of Christ that is not Old Testament Israel. Yes. And understanding that the laws, and this is where this is one of the reasons I was bringing this out in the in the series, understanding the distinction between Israel and the church is imperative Mm -hmm. and understand it's imperative even in how we use the law. Mm -hmm. What do we do with it? Mm Because we don't throw it out. We do uphold it. And all scripture is profitable for teaching, instruction, etc. So we believe it's a word of God. We believe it's for the church to use and and that. But how? Mm -hmm. And how do we apply it? Mm -hmm. Well, understanding that God had a purpose for Old Covenant Israel, ethnic uh, geographical, political Israel mm-hmm. in that land, those people in that land in that time, is different than the church, mm-hmm. um, which is scattered abroad among the nations. And it's the idea that, you know, Jesus was saying, we're not going to put, you don't put new wine in old wineskins, yeah. because as it ferments, it's going to, you know, blow out the wineskin. You put new wine in new wineskins. The new wine of the gospel of the church age mm-hmm. is going to have a new um, casing, yeah. so to speak. Well, like I love uh, John Stott's descriptor. The church is a new humanity. Right? Yeah. This is the covenant people of God now. And so it's important to understand what it is and how it's distinct from Israel in that way. Right. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, because if we're going to talk about why we should not maybe celebrate these feasts and festivals. We need to talk a little bit about what the purpose was uh, under the old covenant uh, for these laws and feasts and festivals. Uh, I think it's important to understand the nation of Israel did become the covenant people of God at Sinai, right? When, when Well, first God makes a promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant in chapter Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, where he promises to make Abraham, a, to give him a land, to give his descendants that land, to give him many descendants, and through him blessing to come to the world. And ultimately, that's fulfilled in Jesus. But the nation of Israel becomes, what we say, the covenant people of God at, in Exodus uh, chapter 19, right? When they receive, well, in the following chapters, God gives them the law, and then there's all these stipulations that come with it, and the people agree to do the law, to obey the law, agree to those covenant stipulations. And I think it's in chapter 23 of Exodus, Moses is sprinkling blood on the people, and he's got the book of the law, and now they've become the covenant people of God. And Israel, different than the, the old covenant, different than the new covenant, there were blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and the, the nation of Israel was to every generation be... Um, recommitting themselves to this covenant where they're saying we take upon us all the blessings and the cursings. Mm-hmm. Right. So why ultimately is Israel no longer the covenant people of God in that same way? It's because of their disobedience. Right. Right. That's why they're they're banished. So when it comes to all the laws that we read in 
Exodus and Leviticus and so on and so forth, all the feasts and the customs that they were to uphold, those pertain specifically to the nation's uh, relationship to the Lord. Yes. You know, uh, when I taught uh, the Old Testament survey class a couple of years ago, one of the most important things I think about understanding the, the law and especially the book of Leviticus was understanding that Yahweh was dwelling in the midst of the people. And all of these laws were about cleanliness and about the people's ability to approach Yahweh. And even the, the, the organization of the camp as the, the people are wandering in the wilderness, right? In the center, you have the tabernacle, and then you have this area outside of the camp where all the unclean things go. Mm-hmm. Why was it that uh, a woman during her time of the month had to go out? Well, because she's impure. She can't be in the presence of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So it's all of these, these protections. So all the laws, all the feasts, all the festivals— relate to that. Does that yeah. kind of make sense? Right. And under well, understanding their primary purposes, right, was that they're pointing to Jesus. Yes. Okay, so if you think about what Paul says in, in Colossians 2.16, he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Those are all pointing to those Old Testament things. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ, literally, but the body of Christ, Hmm. okay? So the shadow coming around the corner, these were showing you that someone was coming, and now the the body is here, the substance is here. Jesus has arrived. So we, he goes on to say uh, just a, a little bit later, that we are to hold fast to the head hmm. from whom the whole body nourished and net together uh, through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Not holding on to these things, these obedience and adherence to these festivals and that, that's resorting back to what Paul would say, don't do that. Right. The substance of those things is here and now is Christ. Right. So we can take those things and we learn from them like we did Sunday. I, yep. I went through uh, Pentecost. hmm that Feast of Weeks, I went through the Feast of First Fruits, showed how Christ was raised from the dead that way, the Feast of Passover. We could have gone through Feast of Unleavened Bread right. the week before, all those things. So we can we can look at those. Yes, we, we learn from them. We're corrected from them. They train us in righteousness and point us to Jesus. But the intention for the church is not to Replicate be adhering those. to those. And And here's one of the main reasons I would say that is that those were given to that particular people in that particular place. And in that time, like even as an example, the feast of um, the grain feasts of first fruits Mm -hmm. for barley and then Pentecost, which be wheat, they couldn't even observe those when they first got them. Hmm. They had to wait till they got into the land. It wouldn't have been possible for them. They weren't getting the grain. Okay, so... The idea is it was they were to be observed when they got there during that time period. Yeah. What what the what I'm seeing in some of the Hebrew roots movement, just from the very little bit that I've looked into it or talked to people and heard, is that they're trying to take those laws and apply them themselves. And what they should see, but I I fear they don't, is that they can't observe them the way God intended. Yeah. Where where's the temple? Where's the priest that you're bringing these things to? The law wasn't designed in a way that you got to just kind of 
use your creativity and yeah. imagination yeah. in order to observe it. It was given as a pattern, and God says, you do it according to this pattern. Yeah. This is my law. I determine how my people worship me, and you must follow this. Mm. If you think about the wisdom of God in this, this is why the New Covenant Church doesn't have to observe these things, because you can't. You can pretend to be doing it, and if your heart is right in it, I guess maybe that's nice, but you're not really observing it yeah. because you can't obey it. Yep. If, you, if you were at the, the Feast of First Roots, you're trying to observe that. If you haven't handed barley to a priest <laughs> that he waves before the Lord, you haven't observed it. Uh. And most of these Hebrew Roots movements don't even have a priest. Yeah. Uh, now, you see this happening with, with the Roman Catholic Church and the establishment of the priesthood. They, they don't understand enough of the distinction between Israel and the Church, and it creates problems, right? And they invent this office for the New Covenant Church. But they're not able to observe these things in the way that the Bible puts them out. And I don't care if their intentions are right. Intentions, when it comes to the aspects, especially of Torah and law in the Pentateuch, were relevant, but they weren't the only thing that mattered. You had to do it the way yes. God said. Yep. And if you didn't, you died. That's right. Uh, one other thing I just want to add on this, when we think about the purposes of Old Testament laws, so one, <clears throat> it was the way that the people, you know, uh, remained in covenant relationship with God. They were pointing to Christ. But the other thing is, some of these things, especially like Passover, we're speaking or reminding the people specifically of God's redemptive and saving acts amongst them. And when we get to the to the church, we now have a better saving and redemptive act of which Christ is the new and better Israel. You know, like think about Passover. He's established a new memorial yep. feast in which we are to observe. Yep. So again, you think even, okay, Israel, some of these events— that they celebrated on a regular basis were to remind them of God's mm. work in their midst. Mm -hmm. But now we have better ones. Right. <laughs> so, right. so we don't need to, to go back. To this is why. So like now I, I look back and I, and how I was raised, you know, and um, the Baptist distinctives, right? We have two ordinances, mm -hmm. baptism and Lord's supper. These are what the new Testament teach us to do. And that, Lord's Supper, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. instituted during Passover. Right. But in but we don't do all of the rest that was involved with Passover. We have that simplicity of the bread and cup pointing to what Passover pointed to, and that was Christ and his body and blood sacrifice for our sins. Yeah. So that's good. Okay. I have one other question, because this might come into people's minds. And they're saying, Well, I'm not part of the Hebrews roots Hebrew roots movement. I'm Orthodox in my Christian belief. I don't have other things. Is it wrong or sinful for me, a New Covenant believer, to observe any of these? I know I can't observe it in the full way, but let's say, and we've both participated in these past Passover Seder dinners. Mm -hmm. Or some people think, hey, the concept of Feast of Booths is really cool. I'm going to go do that in my backyard. I'm going to build a booth and mm -hmm. do that. Is it wrong or sinful to do those things? Is it wrong or sinful, right? Well, I would say, you know, maybe Paul in Colossians 2 
his admonition to not let anybody judge you in these things would say, no, if you want to do it to the glory of God, Mm -hmm. understanding that you aren't able to keep it in exactly the way that it has been prescribed, um, understanding that you don't have to. um, I just don't, we don't see examples of this in 2,000 years of church history. We need to understand that. Right. One one thing people need to do that are kind of fascinated by this is to understand the newness of it. Yes. And, well, I'll add one thing with that, too, because many of these people are articulating the church has lost something, and mm-hmm. we're here to recover it. That's really part of—like, that's the main thing most of them are right. saying. They're saying, we've lost our Jewish base. Right. We need to get back to it. And that's— Yeah. 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 Beware. And so I I think it's not necessary— I think that, um, you know, whatever. I mean, if you, if you want to do that, do it. Just if you have the right understanding of everything we've said, like you're probably not able to do it the way it's commanded in Scripture. It's not necessary for you to do it. And it actually can be a doorway to, you know, if you listen to some of the testimonies of people that have come out of Hebrew roots, there were all like these gateways into it. And I was listening to this woman that came out of it, and the first thing was, her family and her uh, decided to start observing a Sabbath. They made it a Tuesday, and they would just practice as much as they could of the Sabbath mm-hmm. principle, and they really enjoyed it as a family. And that was kind of the beginning of this exposure to, hey, I really enjoy having these ceremonial laws or whatever mm-hmm. that we use. I would say to them, enjoy the ceremonial worship that God has established for the new covenant people, mm. Sunday worship. Mm-hmm. Make that your Sabbath. Sabbath. Make that your investment of. We worship. We hear the the word read, expounded. Um, we partake in the Lord's Supper. We sing praises to him. And these other things are just not necessary. And again, no nobody's been doing this for 2,000 years. So Colossians 2, 16 through 18 would be a passage you already mentioned. The other one I'd bring up would be Romans 14, you know, which is, you know, there's some Christian liberty that could be involved in here. You Mm -hmm. know, Paul is making similar argument in Romans 14, as he's saying in Colossians 2, let no one pass judgment on you, right? Weak, strong in the faith kind of thing. Um, So those would be two passages that if we wanted to, if somebody wanted to say, I have some Christian liberty to do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Fine. That's fine. Right. But let's get to our final point here, I think. Why, though, <laughs> would we say, even if you have Christian liberty to do that, this may not be the wise thing, and it, sometimes it's downright dangerous. Yeah. Um, why is that? Well, we mentioned one, is it can be a doorway into yep. the Hebrews Roots Movement, yep. which yep. is dangerous. Right. And um, I think, well, I'll, no. I'll add uh, sort of with that. I think more broadly speaking, though, than that, the New Testament, I think, over and over, and we've already touched on this, I guess, so there'll be a little bit of repeat here, but the New Testament seems to downplay, if not downright discourage, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, right? As right. um, almost a going back. Right. Why are you going back right. when we're in this new thing now Yep. that all of that was pointing to? Why are you now choosing to go back right. and live and attach yourself to those things? Uh, you mentioned earlier Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council. Uh, verses 28 and 29, I think, are important in this, because, so just in case people don't know what's going on in Acts 15, 
Well, you mentioned it earlier, I guess. Mm-hmm. If I can uh, all, yeah. Anyway, verses 28 and 29, the letter that they send is, uh, they say, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So mm-hmm. the question was, should we follow the law of Moses and be circumcised? The requirements are that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Right, right. <laughs> it's fascinating, right? They had the opportunity right there to say, you know, some of these, a feast of booze would be good to observe and Passover and, you know, once you observe these. Yeah, dieti- make sure you show back up here in Jerusalem right. at Passover, <laughs> you know, but other than that, just yeah. c- keep yourself from right. whatever. No, and none of that none was of that. required of them at all. And um, and after AD 70, to me, as I look at AD 70, such a monumental event, God's judgment against those people and that place, mm-hmm. okay? And they're scattered at that point. And any possibility of them really adhering to Torah is destroyed mm-hmm. because now they have no sacrificial system, uh, they have no priesthood, they have no temple. It's just destroyed and they're dispersed. Mm-hmm. And this I heard somebody say this the other day that about and, and it was on well actually it was on that interview with that Jewish man who mm-hmm. he grew up in a a, a Jewish home mm-hmm. and but they were atheists yeah well and he said what like half, I think he gave the statistic like half of Jews are are atheists now mm-hmm. and I don't blame them for being atheists because if they reject Christ then nothing makes sense. They don't have a basis for their religion anymore. You And again, when God gave that law to the Jewish people, it wasn't just take this and kind of do it the way you want to. It all was dependent on them being in the land, Jerusalem, and the temple being there in a priesthood. It was all dependent on that. And um, so they just can't, they can't do it. And I think that was such a decisive act of God's, like, destroyed it. So even if there was this intervening time from like, let's say 33 AD to AD 70, in which Jews who became Christians still sort of observed the law, the Jewish males would descend upon Jerusalem for those three feasts, and they would do so probably with hearts like, wow, now I see what this Mm -hmm. is all about. This is really Mm -hmm. cool. At that point, God shatters it at yep. AD 70, and it's done. Yep. Okay, so I think that, you know, why would we then, why would Gentiles try to resort back into this? It's not possible to do. It's taken us back. It's not pointing to Christ. And actually, what some of these people in the Hebrews Roots movement seem to be implying is that Torah is their law and savior, or Lord and Savior, not Jesus. Yeah. What saves me really is Torah, because I focus on Torah. I focus on what I'm going to eat. I focus on you know, what I need to do on a particular day. I'm focused on that calendar. Anything that takes the focus off of Christ, who is the fulfillment of those things, is a wrong, wrong focus. Uh, another important passage, I think, in this, uh, the New Testament's downplaying or discouraging would be Acts 10. Peter and Cornelius, Peter getting the vision where the Lord says to him, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, I've never eaten any unclean thing. You know, again, uh, here, Peter, a Jewish man, is told (laughs) to basically break the law because it's gone, you know? So uh, is that prescriptive, you know, in the terms that, that, you know, uh, Christians should 
you know, for health reasons, say I'm not going to eat pork. I'm not going right. to eat shellfish. Right. Uh, no, but it is showing the completion of the old covenant and right. no longer the necessity to keep those commands. So. And the danger is like Paul says in first Timothy four, the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by mm-hmm. devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving yeah. by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to mm. be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. I mean, Paul's saying yeah. it's dangerous to go back to these mm. things. If you have somebody teaching you that you should, because of the Old Testament law said you should abstain from pork, and you're doing that, what does he teach? Is he teaching according to the Word of God as progressive revelation moves on and shows what the purpose of those things were, to separate those people out? And he, he's explaining that. And now you have this man that's saying, or woman, saying, no, you can't, you shouldn't be eating these things. Again, it's dangerous. Yeah. It's a dangerous thing. Yep. And Paul says, you know, instead of Torah, what do we focus on? We focus on the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, right? Mm. And he says, if you walk by the Spirit... You'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I'm just going to tag on that for a moment, because it is interesting. Like, by nature, we are legalists. And walking by the Spirit, in some ways, is more challenging than just having a list of laws saying, well, if I just stay away from this, that, and the other, I've made it. So... In many ways, that's that's what's happening, right? We we want somebody to tell me to do this or not to do this, and then I'll be good, right? And that's not what the new covenant is about. Uh, another reason it's uh, and again we've touched on some of this. It's not helpful or beneficial for Christians to observe these things. Is that we have the substance? We don't we don't need the shadow. We have the substance, which is Christ. Over and over, the New Testament makes this point. First um, Corinthians five seven. You know, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed right. throughout the old leaven. The entire book of Hebrews. Right. <laughs> it's pretty much, don't go back to that, to the Jews. Right, yes. Don't go back to right. that way of, of thinking. Uh, Hebrews 8, I think, is especially important in this uh, this one. You know, the point in what we are saying is this. We have a such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to sacrifice. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Then this is important, verse 5. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, right? And then verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Good. It's better. Uh, okay, let's just land the plane here maybe a little bit. What are, we're saying that there seems, it wouldn't be wise to do these things. What are the dangers mm-hmm. that we haven't touched on already? Yeah, well, I don't know how many more there would be that we haven't touched on. Do you have any? More? I have a couple. Okay, go okay, for it. One would be uh, becoming like the Judaizers in Galatians mm-hmm. 2, right? Yeah. So you are adding these things as this This is part of salvation. Yeah. Right. Right. You, you know, in Galatians, it was you must be circumcised and have Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's danger. Galatians 2, verse 15 and 16, Galatians 4, 8 through 11, Galatians 5, 1 through 3. That'd be one. Uh, secondly, we did touch on this already. It, 
it becomes a yoke and a burden, right? That's what Peter said in Acts 15, you know, brothers, how can we lay this yoke and burden on these Gentiles when we ourselves couldn't do it? That's right. So it can be discouraging to people, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, in that way. So it becomes a yoke and a burden. That's a danger. And then I think this might be one of the most uh, deceiving, but the element of pride. Right. Right. Uh, I'm doing these things and you're not. I'm better than you. Yeah. Years and years ago, there was a woman that came to Calvary and her family didn't come with her because her husband was apparently getting involved in Hebrews Roots. And this mm-hmm. was the first time I had ever heard of it. And she confided in me saying, um, you know, what I detect in everybody as they're getting together and they're talking about Torah and what they're keeping and what the, you know, whatever they're mm-hmm. doing. She said, it just sounds so proud, mm-hmm. prideful. Like they get so proud of how much they've abstained from or what they've done or what they've observed. So I think that the law has, an, uh, has that um, ironic ability hmm. to promote pride when a person feels accomplished in how well they've kept it. Yep. I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 23 when he's de- denouncing his woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, he's saying, uh, look at what they do, but don't, like, they don't actually be- believe what they're they're doing. Right. You know, they've got, they externally, they've got it all together, but internally they're a disaster. Yeah. And they were the epitome of pride right. in yeah. their their ability to do that. Um, the last one would be when these things, these Old Testament feasts and people are seeking to follow them, I think it, ca- it can cause division in the church, right? Yeah. It is a reintroduction of the dividing wall of hostility That's right. that Ephesians 2 says Jesus tore it down. That's right. It was those laws expressed in, in commandments and ordinances that separated Jew and Gentile, the cross abolished those, yep. that distinction, so that Jew and Gentile, this mystery mm-hmm. of the new covenant age would be that Jew and Gentile would be in one body. Yep. And the thing that divided them, those separating distinctions of ceremonial and civil law, is gone yep. in Christ. And so that Jew and Gentile can worship together in the simplicity of the new covenant time. Yep. yep. The yeah, I I um I I want to leave with one thing. Okay. I want to leave a challenge for anybody that's um got friends or family that maybe are involved in this or um they're thinking about it themselves. Or let's say you have a conversation with somebody that's involved in Hebrew roots or they're really getting it. I, they should bring them to Numbers chapter 5. And say, okay, I, I see you're going to celebrate, you know, first fruits and and tabernacles and these feasts, these ceremonies. But there's one ceremony that's really interesting, and I don't hear about many of them observing this. Okay, and this is what uh, what Moses says in verse 29. This is the Torah in cases of jealousy. Uh, when a wife, though under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself, or Verse 30, when the spirit of jealousy comes over a man and he is jealous of his wife. So this is Torah now. This is a ceremony. And this is something that's supposed to happen if there is a suspicion that the wife has committed adultery. So if this ever happens in the Hebrew roots churches, okay. you you need to do this. Okay, so what you're going to do, if you go back up into verse 
you know, 12, speak to the people of Israel. If man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him, if a man lies with her sexually and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband and she is undetected, though she has defiled herself, there is no witness against her since she was not taken in the act. And if the spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes over him and he is jealous of his wife, though she has not defiled herself, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest and bring the offering required of her, a tenth of an ephah of barley flour. He shall pour no oil on it and put on frankincense on it. No frankincense. Or no frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, bringing iniquity to remembrance. The priest then shall bring her near and set her before the Lord, and the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. And the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and unbind the hair of the woman's head and place in her hands a grain offering of remembrance, which is a grain offering of jealousy. And in his hand, the priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings the curse. The priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man is lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings a curse. But if you have gone astray, though you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself, and some other man than your husband has lain with you, then let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people. When the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell, may this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. Uh, now, I would like to know what my Hebrew roots friends do with this. Yeah. You don't get the option, in my view, if you think the Torah needs to be followed, you don't get the option to take something like this and say, well, not this one. And we have to reinterpret it and say, well, Jesus is now our high priest or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but you can't do that. You can't though, do it. Because you don't do that with anything else. Right. So you don't say that about any of the other feasts or festivals. What I'm trying to point out is that this law, this Torah, especially ceremonial and civil, was for a particular people in a particular place with their own government under God, mm -hmm. in which if you tried this now, you would actually go to jail because it's abuse. It's abuse of this woman to do something like this. I mean, so it's, it's a, to me, when I think about people going back to the Hebrew Roots Movement and observing these things, I think the word that pops in my mind is silly. This is silly, yeah. and it's unattainable. You can't do it. Like Peter said, it's a burden that was too great for our fathers, and it's going to be way too great for Gentiles spread around the world who, yeah. who don't even have any of the structures that were in place at that time. Yeah, that's a good place to land and put some real uh, questions, should put some questions in the minds of people that are that are thinking about these things. Well, we hope this podcast has been helpful for you and uh, our discussion uh, causing you to think more about the scriptures. Uh, if you're a part of our church, we always love to hear from you. Uh, you can reach us a number of ways. You can come up and talk to us on a Sunday. You can send us a text or give us a call. Or you can email us at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. We love to hear from our listeners inside and outside of the church. So send us some, some feedback. 
if you have questions or topics uh things you want to interact with send us those things as well you can follow us online a couple places we are on uh instagram and twitter or x we are at the calvary cast we are a meme account basically online i make ridiculous memes i think they're ridiculous they go with podcasts jess is shaking his head yes they are ridiculous i had already zoned out i was reading something else here on the internet sorry Uh, At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. Until next time.